Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this hump day. It rained on me this morning. <laughs> I got a little sprinkle <laughs> on the windshield on the way in. Well, that's about it. I'm calling it rain. Dang it! It was a little sprinkle. I see a little. Little spots of precipitation on the radar moving through central Mississippi. Looks like a little bit more is across the river in Louisiana, headed this way. And then the temperatures are going to decline, moderate a bit. Yeah, depending on where you are in the Magnolia State, it could take up to 10 or 12 degrees off what it was yesterday. I'm digging it. I'm all over it. We... uh, We've been awaiting that for some time, shall we say. Uh, how much more time we got in hurricane season? Does that go through November? Uh, technically, it but it rarely extends that long with any real power. Well, hopefully this little cool front moving through perhaps will change the uh, the water situation. I'm not sure if it's going to travel that far to the south, but uh, to kind of cool the waters a little bit little less jet fuel for these storms. We dodged a big old bullet, didn't we, in the one that just passed through? Oh, yeah, Hurricane Lee? A Category 5, right? It, it uh, strengthened to that point, but then turned north and sort of paralleled our eastern coast, our yeah, eastern it, seaboard. Yeah, it picked up a lot of pace and, and grew, and then I forget the the technical term for it, but it's... It's where it kind of recycles its energy. Okay. And when that happened, it downgraded from a five, still a category three, which is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. And it's looking more and more like it's going to hit New England. Oh, okay. But not with the sort of strength it had a no, couple of days ago no. after, like you said, sort of reformed. Cause, and it's, it's a pretty big storm as well, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, back here in the south, we're still in summer, technically speaking, in the month of September. You've probably noticed that... For at least another week or so. Yeah, exactly. And you've noticed that the the, uh, sunshine, the sun goes down a little sooner in the evenings. Uh, Yesterday, uh, we had a rather lively discussion, shall we say, about uh, drugs and... 
pharmacies and the dispensing of drugs by pharmacies. And we had a, a student that is pursuing their doctoral degree. I guess, is it pharmacology, pharmacy? I'm not sure exactly what the the official formal name is. But a uh, delightful young lady who was quite smart. And we were talking about, what's that drug? Naloxone? Yeah, naloxone. Um, naloxone, okay. That is used as uh, an antidote in the event of an opioid. You've probably heard the name brand for it a lot more than you have the the chemical name for it. The name brand is Narcan. Yeah. And and it's uh, so I shared this conversation with my my wife last night. And she was saying and I guess I didn't think about it that I guess many of our law enforcement officers have this on their person might use it, right? In cases where they encounter just a member of the public that has experienced an overdose and and, and carry it in injectable form. That's what she was saying. Like, there was a story she shared with me that happened in Madison County not so long ago where a law enforcement officer came up on someone experiencing an overdose and injected this substance, this drug, Nar- Narcan, as you said. I believe that's what I understood. I mean, there are injectable versions of it, okay. but the, the, the majority of what you, you will see is a nasal inhaler. That's right. She said that as well. Exactly. And it may, I guess it would be a nasal spray, not an inhaler, but okay. whatever. But maybe if it's injected, it, it acts faster, I guess, is potentially. Oh, uh, yeah. Gets in your bloodstream faster, whatever. N- nonetheless. I can't remember the exact order, but the injection is the quickest way to get something in your system. The nasal is, I want to say, second quickest, and then it's buccal, which is under the tongue or the side of the mouth, Hmm. and then oral. Okay. Well, and so the the gist of the conversation was about whether or not uh, pharmacies in Mississippi are dispensing uh, naloxone, and I, I'm still a little confused, Rhino, as to whether or not a prescription is required. Can this be sold over the counter, or does it require a prescription? Wasn't sure. And that's on me. I didn't really get clarity on that. But nonetheless, where I'm going with this is... I mean, the FDA has approved it for over-the-counter usage. So Okay. But then per- perhaps subject to state law, right? Because states... Right. I mean, the FDA said Sudafed was totally fine, and Mississippi still went, you know what? You need a prescription for that, which I'm glad they finally reversed it. Right. Okay. And this is where I'm going. So I don't know if you've seen that, but an FDA panel, this is just like in the last couple of days, has now said that Sudafed and NyQuil products, which contain the, what's the active ingredient? Phenylephrine. Yeah, that's it. Phenylephrine. Thank you junk drug are not effective it doesn't work that's what they're saying well i take that back it works for about one in ten people okay well i can say that when it was available over the counter i i would use it in the event of an and thank god i rarely get colds and and the problems the uh the illness that you would need this for it, it seemed to work and honestly i'm not sure if it worked because the active ingredient i guess combated 
the the bacteria, the infection, whatever it is, or if it's because it just knocks you on your butt and makes you sleep, your body just takes over. It goes to work, but it, it will do that. There's no Nyquil. Like I go into a, a sleep funk for 24 hours, and and I suspect that people react differently oh, to, yeah. to that. Um, but nonetheless, in the last couple of days, uh, the FDA ordered removal of some of these popular products. Uh, Tylenol has a version, Mucinex, Benadryl cold and flu remedy, and they're they're basically pretty much anytime you see a PE attached to the name of something you already know, like Sudafed PE. Okay, that's not really pseudoephedrine; that's phenylephrine. Gotcha. Well, and there are a number of products that contain this ingredient. I oh mean, yeah, probably the same stuff, just under different brand names, uh, with maybe minor differences. Uh, Claritin, I think, is seem, comes to mind as as one of them. I don't know if Claritin has a phenylephrine component. Or, I know loratadine is the the generic for Claritin. Okay. But I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Claritin PE. Okay. Well, nonetheless, the uh, FDA's ordered removal of the phenylephrine. That's what they're saying. Products that contain it is is not being effective. Well, I mean, if you compare phenylephrine, for for the majority of people, if you compare phenylephrine to pseudoephedrine, phenylephrine's like a, a trolling motor on a, on a fishing boat, and pseudoephedrine's like a jet engine. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Well, uh, so this, this is being widely reported across the media in this country that this FDA panel comes out and says, yeah, stuff's no good. Um, wow, imagine you're in the business of making that stuff and selling a bunch of it. Now you got the FDA says it's not any good, and they're ordering pharmacies, I guess, and, and retailers to remove it off the shelves. It's weird. Well, they made all their money when Sudafed got demonized. Well, that's true. <laughs> you're right about that. So, but like, where have they been? This isn't new. This has been around a long time. They just now figuring out all oh, this stuff doesn't work. Unbelievable. Well, well other, I mean, it's par for the course. The government takes forever to get anything done. Well, on the other hand, they're recommending COVID vaccines for everyone over six months. Six months? Are they crazy? I want to know. Are there folks out there that have like a seven month old baby that they're going to get a COVID vax for? That seems crazy to me. Totally crazy. Well, let's see on the program today. We've got uh, Michael Stemkowski, Clinical Services Director for TFC and Crisis Services. He's going to be talking about youth villages. Uh, September is Suicide Month, Suicide Prevention Month. And we've got Patrick Sullivan, President of the Mississippi Energy Institute, coming up at 12.05. Right now, however, we're stepping aside for a break. Looks like we got an impeachment investigation inquiry that's going to be spinning up in the U.S. House of Representatives that would be targeting the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Coming right back. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studio. Have a market update for you in a minute, but first, uh, did receive a text. Dr. Dan Edney, the state health officer, did uh, let me know. He runs the course of Department of Health. Let me know that Narcan has been available under state health officer protocol for a few years now. No individual prescription needed, and it's also available over the counter. That's kind of what we thought and understood yesterday, and I apologize for the confusion on that. It's just something I'm not terribly familiar with, but I thought the interview was intriguing yesterday with uh, Miss Gravely, who did her thesis on this. Remember what she told us was that she and others called around to pharmacies, posing as customers, asking them about it. And there's some still, apparently, some concern about potential stigma associated with the drug, that it's, it simply uh, maybe promotes drug abuse and addiction. That hey, if you just have this, you can kind of fix yourself if you take too much, something to that effect. I mean, if you're looking at it from that side of the coin, it's understandable because it's... It's like putting a safety net under the trapeze. The trapeze can be dangerous, but if you put the safety net there, it's less dangerous. Right. Well, if you're using illicit drugs and opioids and you have Narcan, that's the safety net. It's it's, it's less dangerous than it was, so you may feel inclined to do more. So from from that perspective, I can see where they're coming from, but from a purely objective perspective, it's legal. It should be available. Yeah, agree. So on the ceasefire text line, now, this is something that is a bit int- intriguing. Narcan is even available in vending machines in some cities. Does that sound right? Would that oh, be yeah. legal? Okay. Interesting. Free at the health department in Alabama on the ceasefire text line. I believe that's what Miss Gravely told us yesterday, right? Even gave us the address of a website that one can go to find out more about that program. org. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right, what she said. Okay. Interesting. So it's just a uh, fireman on the Gulf Coast have it on hand always, the nasal version. Appreciate that. That's from K-Dog in, in Wiggins. Chris and Tupelo, Narcan doesn't require a prescription. The law was passed here. Appreciate that. Thank you. Again, so it's all lining up consistent. I, I just felt like... Based on yesterday's discussion, I felt like we needed to revisit that. And then this sort of bombshell report comes out about the FDA and um, and, and all these various drugs that contain the, the PE ingredient. Um, what's the other one? Pseudoephedrine? Yeah, pseudoephedrine versus phenylephrine. Okay. So when they came out and said, hey, look, that stuff doesn't work, it, it just kind of Triggered my thought about our discussion yesterday. It was sort of timely that all that, that lined up. And one thing to keep in mind is while Narcan naloxone is available over the counter, yeah, some pharmacies may still require you to go to the pharmacy counter and ask for it. But 
really over-the-counter is a catch-all term for any medication that doesn't require a prescription. Now, that's my understanding of it as well, but I hadn't thought about the fact that, yeah, it may not be sitting out on the shelf right. where a consumer can just grab it, pay for it. You can't check walk out. in the door and ask the cashier, where's the Narcan? Aisle three, you might have to go back to the pharmacy and say, hey, can I get some Narcan? I got it. So can does the pharmacist have the authority to deny the sale of that? Could they say, hey, you don't look like you're right for that? I mean, is that – what's the purpose of that? Is it so the pharmacist can say, hey, do you understand what this is for and kind of provide some counseling? Why, why would that be the scenario versus just being on the shelf out in the open? I think it may tie in more to that stigma of, well, people that might be abusers are going to need this more than someone who's not. So they also might be inclined to shoplift it. And it might be a shrink issue, okay. a shrinkage issue. That makes sense. That that totally makes sense. But, uh, I mean, are pharmacists obligated? And we may be getting to a world that I know you have more experience in this than I do, haven't worked in that environment. Are they obligated to report anything that looks unusual when they're dispensing prescriptions? I mean, if somebody looks like they've really got – I don't know what that look is. I'm not trained on that. But if they look like – this is a really bad drug addict that's getting this stuff, and are they obligated, or can they report it upstream to any authorities? How does that work? Or I, it- I think certain issues they take with, say, say someone goes to the emergency room and they get a prescription for an antibiotic and a painkiller. Okay. And then they show up at the pharmacy and go, you know what, I don't need the antibiotic, just give me the painkiller. The pharmacist has the right to refuse to dispense that medication and tell them go somewhere else okay i don't think they have any obligation to report that to anybody but i'm fairly certain there is a tip line they could call if they felt so motivated that makes sense i you know i've had just anecdotally i've had issues where i've had some ailment and taken something and then it didn't work and the doctor would prescribe something different that's not an unusual situation and I go back, and the pharmacist would note, you know, my prior prescription, and would say, "Well, hopefully we can clear this up this time." Something to that effect. I mean, that's fine. You know, no big deal. They they know the history there. Uh, you can ask the government; they will mail a kit for free, two cans per household, on the ceasefire tax line. Hmm. Interesting. Good morning, Gerard. You know why they are saying that six-month babies need the shot. Dr. Fauci's wife needs a new pair of shoes, says Sam in Mount Hermon. Well, there's a lot of chatter and and discussion about Fauci receiving royalties from pharmaceutical companies and all that sort of stuff. And, I, man, I I hear you, and I know. I I just don't know why the FDA would recommend it for six months, uh, six-month-old humans in in greater, when you look at, uh, just the, the data on young folks handling COVID, which I, I, I think it's true, if I'm not mistaken, that there's like no minor that's died expressly from the COVID infection itself. Yeah, not just COVID. There were always extenuating circumstances. Yeah, so-called comorbidities, I guess, and other conditions. Uh, it, it just seems crazy to me, honestly. 
is it not a little weird that on the same day the FDA comes out and says pull all this Sudafed stuff and like? Well, one clarification on that: the FDA has just said it doesn't work. They haven't mandated removing it from shelves or pulling it from from certain products. Okay, they've just come out and said, "Hey, this doesn't work the way it's being claimed." I'm looking at it. I misread it, and so uh, the report I saw at first said. Yeah, it would require removal, but in in reading a little deeper, it is expected, based on this unanimous vote by the panel that these drugs are ineffective, that most retailers, drugstores, and and other places where you can buy this stuff. I mean, heck, you could buy it in grocery stores, right? So that down the drug counter, we'll, are just going to remove it from the shelves. That's the expectation. Since the FDA has come out and said stuff doesn't work. It's just weird. A CC in Senatobia says, Schumer says the Biden impeachment inquiry is absurd. Americans want us to help them and not waste time on chases and witch hunts. Say what? Can you say hypocrite? All Schumer and other Democrats did was waste time and money investing stories and witch hunts to destroy Trump. I agree. Uh, it, it is a, a ridiculous double standard. There's no doubt about that. In my view, if it wasn't for double standard, Schumer wouldn't have any. <laughs> That's true. And honestly, I'm not sure anything will come of it. And, and, you know, might it have an impact on the 2024 election? I mean, let's think about this. This is crazy. We're, we're going to have impeachment investigation hearings going on during the election cycle. At the same time, we got Trump in court. The, the two front runners for the the uh, the parties their respective parties for the office of presidency that seems kind of crazy in my view something else that um, caught my eye that was really just a bit shocking honestly was uh, Senator Kennedy <laughs> John Kennedy. Jeez. We'll talk about this later on in the program, but he uh, he read some rather graphic material passages from books that are available in schools. And the left says this isn't happening. I've, I've literally had a conversation this week with someone in this state who does not believe this is happening. And finally, we just had to walk away peacefully, civilly, and it was a respectful civil discussion. I don't want to mislead there, but basically I think um, he got tired of having the discussion, just dismisses the idea, and I shared a a number of examples, and he just shook his head. Thinks we're all chasing the wrong thing. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio to talk about Suicide Prevention Month. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help, when I was younger, so much younger than today. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Michael Stempkowski. I say that right? Yes, sir. 
Clinical Services Director, Clinical Training, TFC and Crisis Services. Uh, September is Suicide Prevention Month. Yes. Correct. That's when we reflect on uh, that issue in our society, in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us about um, the organization that you're affiliated with and, and how sure. you do work there. Yeah, I, I work at Youth Villages, which is a national nonprofit. We're in you know, a national organization. We've been um, in Mississippi for over 20 years now, and we focus on community-based programs to help young people, young adults, and their families. We serve about 1,300 kids and families here in Mississippi. How do they come uh, to Youth Villages? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, you know, we really focus on system change and system partnership here. So Youth Villages, along with other providers, partner with um, you know the courts, legislators, um, DMA, CPS to identify those individuals who may be struggling with mental health or other issues, and we get them connected with in-the-home services to prevent them from coming into, like, a custodial episode or something like that. Hmm. I see. So what just um, um, from, a, I guess, a census perspective, mm-hmm. do most of these kids have kind of similar circumstances in their background, <clears throat> come from broken families, dysfunctional families? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously here in Mississippi, it's a wonderful state, but there are some social determinants of health is what we call those. And so there are young people who've experienced adversity, poverty, trauma, drug exposure, gun violence in the community. And we know that those do contribute to mental health issues, substance use issues in young people, but also in their caregivers, you know, so... Okay, so uh, link that then to the suicide prevention uh, yeah. month that we're we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, so th- first of all, just thank you so much for the opportunity to come sure. sit with you and talk about it. And because with September being Suicide Prevention Month, we're actually in the midst of Suicide Prevention Week this week. Okay, and what the what we're doing here is both nationally and here in Mississippi is trying to promote a comprehensive approach to suicide prevention. And what that means is, as you and I sit here and talk about this, and as your listeners are listening to this, they might hear that word suicide. I want to just take a moment and just say, hey, what does this mean to you? you got to think relationally. What is this concept of what suicide is? Because at Youth Villages, we're going to help identify and assist those individuals who may be struggling with this particular issue so that we can respond to them in crisis. We can promote care transitions for them, and we can get them connected to effective treatment. That's what we're trying to do. So suicide prevention month and week ask everybody coaches teachers parents uh, people at church you know how are you connected to this what does that mean to you because we know that each death by suicide can result in a ripple to about 135 different people and so because suicide is a complex phenomenon what does that mean to me if I'm a coach or if I'm a teacher or, or this something comes up with my nephew or what does it mean for me to have a brother in law enforcement or to be a veteran? What does that mean for me to, to have this come up this month? And so we encourage people, obviously here at Youth Villages, we're going to encourage families to get ed- educated. We're going to encourage them to reach out. We're going to share resources. But for all the listening audience here for suicide as a September, uh, for suicide prevention in September, how can we promote some compassion, get people connected to initiatives here in Mississippi? Yeah. yeah. Just looking at some of the statistics here, they're, they're staggering, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, and sobering. Uh, 2022, deaths by suicide, all-time high, 50,000 yes, sir. Americans took their own lives. That's 3% increase over the prior year. And then nearly 20% of high school students have had serious thoughts of suicide. That's one in five. So, I mean, if you're walking around the typical mm-hmm. high school, one in five 
Yeah, they thought about it. It's staggering. And, and I think also with that CDC report, they might have mentioned that nine out of 10 Americans are, are feeling like there's a mental health crisis that's going yeah. on right now. And yeah. so obviously I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I got three daughters. Sure. And um, I'm always mindful of for my kids going to high school today. How does suicide impact them? Do they know somebody who's passed? Do they know somebody who's experienced suicidal ideation or attempt? Yeah. I had breakfast with uh, a group that we, we get together weekly and. Uh, one of the individuals in that group sitting across from me notified that uh, he and another person in our group had sons who were very close friends with another individual who, at 19, just last week, took their own life. I'm and so and no other details that. about that. Mm-hmm. But so, so, so that's a great example of being exposed to suicide. And if you put it on a continuum, it's exposure, then who's affected by it? Yeah. And so it, it's the nature of the relationship, the impact to closeness. And are they bereaved? Like short term, is this something that's going to affect them for just a few months? Or are they bereaved long term? You yeah. know? So, so when they come in to use villages, mm-hmm. What what sort of treatment care? What's what's kind of, what's the regimen look like at that yeah, point? Yeah, thank you so much for that. Yeah, so Youth Villages uh, participates in a national <laughs> framework. It's called Zero Suicide, and that framework promotes like universal screening, care transitions, linkage to effective treatment. So, as a young por- person comes into a Youth Villages service, we're going to screen them and get them connected to the help that they need. Now, that might be our crisis services, or it might be referral to an outside professional if they need some sort of specialized treatment. But um, that's really what we're trying to do with like our MyPAC program, Mississippi Youth Program Around the Clock, or our Intercept program, which is an evidence-based, well-supported program to provide intense services in the home to that young person through their family system, but also their community, peer, and school systems that are around them. Now, once they get to youth villages, have they gotten to a point where they've had thoughts about committing suicide at this point? Yeah, I mean, we, we will find in the referral that we'll see that some young people have identified they've experienced that. Other times we don't know, and that's okay. why we try to do the universal screening as a best practice. Okay. Yeah. But th- but there's some trouble going mm-hmm. on, which is why they end up in, in your care, yeah, and, yeah. and that um, often can include that. Yeah, you know what's beautiful about our community, Gerard, is that we've got teachers who care. You know, we've got physicians who care, and that's that's a big movement here in Mississippi is to identify these young people who might be at risk to die by suicide yeah. early so that we can share that task of getting them connected to the resources that they need through youth villages or other providers partnering in this work. What should we non-clinical people be looking for as possible warning signs? Yeah, that's such a great question. So anytime that we're thinking about warning signs, you know, uh, the Department of Mental Health has been promoting a Shatter the Silence initiative for several years, and we're aligned with that, is that as a young person is starting to talk about perhaps maybe being a burden, to themselves or others. They start talking about writing, journaling about wanting to die or things Mm. would be better without them. Or they have changes in, in, um, that's the way that they're talking, but changes in their mood, maybe the the way that their emotions are being regulated, see extreme changes, or the way that they're behaving, the the changes in their sleep or giving away possessions. These might be more of those immediate warning signs that we want to pay attention to and respond to. So is, is that how sometimes they end up? At youth villages, is that teachers? 
teachers, parents, friends, siblings, perhaps people in their orbit have just noticed these changes. And yeah, said, yeah, that's, something's going on here. That's where that's the whole point of the Suicide Prevention Awareness okay. Month is to raise awareness of these risk factors, these warning signs, and you know, see something, say something, mm-hmm. speak up. You know, this young person may be having a hard time, but even adult to adult, if you got a coworker, yeah. you got a peer. Hey, how you doing, brother? Can I check in? And we want to be direct and simple as we ask that question. Are, are, are we talking about suicide? You know, and that clarification can help expedite the connection to a professional to help respond to to uh, that warning sign. And then I guess even adults, sometimes it could be job loss or financial challenges, for example. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. uh, so what's that stressor for them? You know, for young people, it might be a recent breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, yeah. or they failed a class, or they didn't make the baseball team. You know, yeah. some recent stressor is that trigger, that break point. But suicide is complex. It's not usually a, a result of just one thing. It's multiple things kind of coming together. For an adult, it could be a, a change of position as well, or a job loss. Yeah, Makes so much sense. And so we have some... Uh, some phone numbers, right? We have some contact lines. You yes. want to talk about that? Sure. You know, um, anytime we want to reach out, we can always call, like, the national numbers that are being provided at this time. So the National Suicide Lifeline, you can just dial 988. So instead of 911-988, that'll get you connected to the National Suicide Hotline. Also, for young people, it's sometimes helpful to text. So if you see something, you can encourage them to text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741, hmm. and that can start that dialogue, especially for younger people. We know it's the second leading cause of death for individuals 10 to 24 years old. So the chat function will get them connected with a professional counselor to help them in their crisis. Okay. So September, when did that start being becoming suicide prevention yeah, awareness month. Really coming out of ninety nine and uh going into the first national strategic initiative for suicide prevention. Uh coming out of two thousand eight I think was the first suicide prevention awareness about fifteen years ago and then we'll have another national initiative for suicide prevention coming out in twenty twenty four. Um and then here in Mississippi, you know, our our people have been working on a suicide prevention plan since 2016, and okay. that's in partnership with Mississippi State Department of Psychology, uh, Department of Mental Health. They're even going to have a suicide prevention uh, symposium next week on the 19th and 20th. That uh, if you're interested in it, you want some more information, you could connect with that symposium, or you can reach out to us at Youth Villages or other providers who partner to provide for children and families here in Mississippi. We'd love to uh, give you give you some more additional information, training, and support. Well. We uh, certainly appreciate Youth Villages and, and your work and, and all those involved in prevention mm-hmm. and uh, just trying to address this problem and, and, and keep people from, from uh, committing these acts. Uh, there's, I know a lot of people get down, depressed, and feel despair, but it's always hope, man. Yes, and it's, uh, that's not really a solution. So Thank you for creating the space. Um, you got it. Appreciate you coming on, Michael. Michael Stemkowski has been our guest here on Middays. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
Well, that would be Blondie. A.K.A. Deborah Harry. <laughs> 78 years old. I felt so old when I saw that she was 78. Saw on social media, you know, celebration of her birthday. It was back in July sometime, I think. She's 78. Jeez. I believe she posed in Playboy, if I'm not mistaken. She was in the uh, the star, I guess, vocalist of the group Blondie uh, from the 70s, late 70s. Isn't that right? They, oh, yeah. They. Um, I was trying to figure out how to word that search without getting in trouble with uh, HR. <laughs> but, yes, uh, before she really got going with her music career, she was a Playboy bunny. I thought so. At the yeah. Playboy Club. Okay. Okay. She uh, also recorded, as I recall, the uh, the music song for the movie American Gigolo. I believe that was Blondie. You remember that? No, you're too young to remember that. Starring Richard Gere. It launched his career. As a matter of fact, pretty successful actor. Call Me, I believe, was the name of the song. Oh, yeah. All right, so uh, speaking of this crazy sort of stuff, so I, I was just saying before we, we um, interviewed Mr. Stemkowski that I, I had encountered someone locally at an event. We were talking about uh, this this gender ideology stuff that honestly it's just swept the nation it's it's engulfed the nation and there are strong views on both sides about it and little surprised to learn that this person and I don't know why I am and I but I, let me just say that just dismisses it just doesn't seem to accept that it's even happening and basically said, well, that's the problem with you Republicans. You're just too focused on that stuff. Well, and, and you know, we had somebody a couple of weeks ago on the text line that sent us a text, said, I spent 30% of my time talking about it here on the program, which is not true. But I simply made the point that with, to the extent we see now, to the degree that it is being foisted on children, I believe it warrants lots of discussion. Again, I'm in the live your life as you want category. I, I believe that an adult, they want to do crazy stuff like that. They have a right to, as long as it doesn't impose and infringe on my freedom and my rights. But when you're allowing boys to use girls' locker rooms and bathrooms, and even adult men using bathrooms, locker rooms, etc., and just crazy stuff like that, or participate on sports teams, or the classroom discussion and curriculum includes all this gender education and content. I have a problem with that. Well, this made it all the way to the U.S. Senate. Louisiana Senator 
He's a good one, too. He's funny. Senator John Kennedy, always good for laughs, no doubt. He's 71. 71 years old. So this was a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing. It sort of got R-rated, honestly. The senator read from a sexually graphic book that is categorized as a children's book. Am I just being an old fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned guy here to think that it's inappropriate for this sort of material to be part of reading assignments, classroom discussion, curriculum in elementary school? Can't we just let them be kids? They'll, they got plenty of time to get exposed to all that stuff. And so the senator... He read from this book, and who he was talking to specifically in addressing was the Secretary of State, who was on hand in the Senate at the committee meeting, Secretary of State of Illinois, Illinois, because the uh, governor of Illinois in June signed a law that essentially doesn't disallow or prohibit lewd pornographic content from being available in classrooms in Illinois public schools and elementary school. I mean, it's really ridiculous. We're going to continue this discussion because i got to read what the senator read yesterday. You won't believe it. Stay with us. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live from the Element Well studio on this hump day. Empower Mississippi's third annual policy summit at the two Mississippi museums is tomorrow and will bring together state leaders and policy experts for a solution-centered discussion on how to tackle our biggest challenges and help all Mississippians rise. Middays with yours truly will be there tomorrow talking to state and national policy experts about education, the economy, and criminal justice. Go to EmpowerMS.org. That's EmpowerMS.org to get your tickets. So we're going to be down at uh, two museums for the Unleash Mississippi event uh, tomorrow. Looking forward to that. And then when we uh, complete the show, I'm scheduled to moderate one of the panel discussions, the one on economic policy and work, one of the focus areas of Empower Mississippi. Looking forward to that. Also on the ceasefire text line, by the way, that's 601-879-4395. We were talking earlier about um, the Narcan drugs, and I, I had thought that um, my wife had shared with me a story about an incident in Madison where 
a first responder, I thought it was a police officer, but a first responder that uh, had the injectable form to help out someone in need that had experienced an overdose. On the ceasefire text line, paramedics only carry the injections. The dosage is higher. That, that would make sense. They'd be more skilled at that. So appreciate that clarification. Uh, let's see. There was also something else. Mike from Grand Bay talking about suicide prevention. I've known three people who committed suicide not very young, but still each had a different reason. Not valid for me, but valid for them. I wish I could have seen a sign. Yeah, I hear you, Mike. It's such tragic. Ed from New Hope wanted us to mention the VA crisis number, uh, 1-800-273-8255, and press 1. Send a text message to 838-255. Easy to find. I, I did a search, quick VA crisis number, boom, comes right up. Appreciate that, Ed. And 988 is for anybody. Right, experiencing any kind of, of mental crisis, whether it be suicidal thoughts or a, a nervous breakdown or, or anything where you feel like you need to talk to somebody, 988 is the mental health crisis and suicide lifeline. And that would be anyone, including a veteran. They don't necessarily Correct. have to go through the veteran's hot, hotline as well. Yep, that's universal. Um, on the ceasefire text line... This uh, individual says it's legal to donate unused insulin to a clinic for distribution to those who cannot afford it. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, it, I'd, I think it has to be unopened. Yeah, but sealed. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Appreciate that. VM Squared, my friend Matt Rose in Burnsville says congratulations, Gerard. And that's shared yesterday, the news about uh, honored, humbled blessed uh, about being named to the Who's Who in America uh, biographical registry. Uh, the press release went out on that. Uh, actually, it went out, uh, Rhino, on Monday morning at 3 a.m. They notified that it was scheduled to be released, and they sent it to a large, uh, large group, large list of media sources and just others who would have an interest. And I didn't want to say anything about it on 9-11. I didn't think that would be appropriate, honestly. So I, But it was out there starting at 3 a.m., and I'm honored. I'm very appreciative for the recognition and distinction and certainly anybody who's uh, achieved anything in their life knows you don't generally do it by your by yourself. You got to have lots of help, lots of support along the way. Great, uh, great people in your orbit. For me, it was family, it was colleagues, it was friends, it was uh, partners. A lot of folks along the way make stuff work. No doubt, we all know that. Going to get to play your course tomorrow, Annandale. How are the greens? They're pretty good. They're fast. I played this weekend in a tournament. They were actually brutally fast. Uh, I think they put a little light dusting of sand on them They uh, just to uh, kind of top dress them a bit, but I think you'll enjoy it. Have fun with that. Indoctrination has to start as early as possible, Gerard, says Thomas and Greenwood. And that's in, in reference to the story I was sharing about Senator John Kennedy from the great state of Louisiana to our west in Washington yesterday. This was bizarre, honestly. Senate Judiciary hearing 
And it was just on books that are available in some schools and school districts, some states across the country. This Specifically, he was having this discussion with the Secretary of State of Illinois. Alexei Giannoulias is the Secretary's name. And he called him out. He said, your state backed a bill to withhold state funding from libraries that don't follow American Library of Association guidelines, the ALA. The problem with that is they're a bunch of Marxists. Not even kidding. The folks that run the American Libraries Association, you look at what they deem to be acceptable content, you'd scratch your head. So the the guidelines don't make any mention of sexually explicit content being inappropriate and not being and should fall under the category of don't make those available in your libraries. Uh, essentially advising not to include certain books that would include the sexually explicit content. No, they simply say that books, quote, should not be proscribed or removed because of partisan or doctrinal disapproval. Well, I got to tell you, right now with this gender ideology stuff, that's almost become a doctrine. You could argue it's a cult. So this bill was signed into law in June by Governor J.B. Pritzker. Essentially, it doesn't even discuss any sort of sexually explicit, profane, lewd material. So Kennedy reads from one of the books. You've probably heard about this a lot. This seems to get a lot of attention. The book called Gender Queer published in 2019, and it's very graphic, very graphic, and it discusses gender identity, and its target audience is teenagers. And Kennedy reads from it. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on. That's in the book. And Kennedy asked the Secretary of State, what do you want us to do? Are you suggesting that only librarians should decide whether the two books that I just referenced should be available to kids? And the Secretary said, with all due respect, Senator, the words you spoke are disturbing, especially coming out of your mouth. It's very disturbing. But I would also tell you that we're not advocating for kids to read porn. Yeah, but you're letting the books be available to the kids. You're assigning them to read it in your public schools in Illinois, Mr. Secretary. He goes on to say, does the Secretary, we are advocating for parents, random parents, not to have the ability under the guise of keeping kids safe to try and challenge the worldview of every single manner on these issues. So the point the Secretary is making here is that Some parents may deem such books with such passages that I just read inappropriate, but other parents may support and advocate for such content for their children. I personally would question the the parents' qualifications to be a parent, a respecting parent, 
And so the um, the secretary says, when individual parents are allowed to make a decision of where the line is and, quote, to kill a mockingbird, which involves a rape scene, should that book be pulled from our libraries? I think it becomes a slippery slope. Man, can we not agree that the passage I just read in that book should DQ that book from from being available on the shelf in a public school library? I just thought that was crazy. There, there's some. Did other... I read a different "To Kill a Mockingbird"? I don't remember that either. When I saw that, that. was the accusation that was thrown around, but I don't remember reading a rape scene in "To Kill a Mockingbird." Certainly, no no graphic, sexually explicit passage describing a rape in that book. No, I don't think that was. I'm the case. fairly certain that was the the accusation against Tom. Right. That was the essence of the of the court. We are stepping aside for a break. More to talk about. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studio. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping in this, us into this segment here on Middays. We are appreciative that you are with us tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. You'll hear part one of an interview with Wesley Smith, who is the producer of Bridging the Blues, an annual blue road trip that spans Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. This is just crazy, these books. And, And that's just one example I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that a U.S. senator reads a book that is available in elementary schools across the country, not just in Illinois, across the country. And sadly, there are many in society, teachers, administrators, librarians, the American Library Association, which is a bunch of damn kooky Marxists, parents, they're celebrating this. <laughs> They're lauding this. And so Kennedy reads this. And I can't fathom how any adult that that is part of this panel that it, that was there for the hearing that he was addressing could condone it and say, oh, yeah, that's fine. This is uh, another passage. I'm going to read to you. All boys aren't blue. 
is the name of this book. There's nothing that we cannot say here, but I'm just warning you, this is kind of a bit of a graphic description. Quote, I put some lube on and got him on his knees, and I began to slide into him from behind. That's Kennedy reading in the U.S. Capitol yesterday from a children's book. I use the word children's loosely, of course. How could they hear that and not think, No, that shouldn't be. It has no place in elementary education. It doesn't have any place in teenage education. Now, you could certainly argue that it's appropriate to teach to 16, 17-year-olds, I guess, at some point, so-called sex education. Yeah, most 16, 17-year-olds are pretty familiar with that kind of stuff. And if you're going to educate them so as to be safe, responsible, I don't have a problem with that. But this is this is more graphic. You can do that without being graphic. This is more graphic description of uh, sex acts and sexual intercourse. There's a difference between education and erotica. Good point. And that's what this is. This is the latter. No doubt about it. Why? What's the purpose of that? These are people with an agenda that I do believe, as Thomas said, trying to indoctrinate people, young people. Why do we want to ruin something you only go through once? That's your childhood. You shouldn't have to deal with thorny subjects like that. And again, I, I don't I don't know what the goal is exactly other than brainwashing for some purpose. And maybe that's it. But I'm I'm embarrassed that the word American exists in the title of the organization American Library Association. I, I, that bothers me. Honestly, I don't. I don't see anything that is certainly corresponds with traditional American values to expose third graders to that sort of stuff. And I don't see how anybody could condone that, support that. But the Illinois Secretary of State, honestly, I watched it on video yesterday. He kind of had a bit of a smirk on his face about it. Did you see that? It's like. Are you kidding me? Just just kind of disinterested, sort of flippant, sort of looking at Kennedy like you're just, you know, some old fart that just didn't in with current times. You're just dated. Of course, this is probably the same guy that worships Joe Biden, right? I just I just thought it was a problem and had to pass that on and and again I ask folks in Mississippi if you know of things like this going on, let us know. We want to know about it. We saw what happened at Lake Cormorant School a couple of weeks ago. Similar situation. A rogue teacher. That's in DeSoto County. A rogue teacher assigned a book. It, it honestly was inappropriate. Screenshots get go viral of uh, pages in the book. Completely inappropriate for the age group. I don't remember the age of the students. 
But the principal was made aware of it, and the teacher was terminated because they violated school policy, district policy. This is happening across the country. So the left says this is the right uh, acting as fascists because they want to ban such books. That's considered fascism in their view. Yet, they are perfectly fine with banning anything that has any remote connection to faith, Christianity, the Bible. Oh, I can't do that. It's because the majority of the left has the intellectual depth of a teaspoon. <laughs> That's, it seems like it. I, I don't know... Again, but they've I'm, self-appointed themselves to the moral high ground. Well, that's what bothers me. And so what made me think about this, again, is this conversation I have with someone here in town that, uh, again, just seems to be in a state of denial that this kind of stuff's even going on. And, I, and you know, me, after all the, st- the stories we've shared here on the program, they start just coming out of my head, you know, out of my mouth, saying, well, have you seen this? And this thinking, maybe I could persuade this person. Yeah, this really is happening. <laughs> and I got nowhere on that. Nowhere. I may have even sent you a video, I think, of a member of the California Assembly, I believe, that was um, addressing that body on a bill in California where there's a, a custody matter between a between parents on who should be awarded custody and the courts going through that, they want to they want to consider the the child if the child in question here for which the court's trying to assign and grant custody, if the child is experiencing so called gender dysphoria and and has some inclination to go through a sex change deal. If one parent supports it and the other one opposes it, they're going to to place the child in the custody of the person who supports it. And their their viewpoint on that is that the parent who opposes gender sex reassignment surgery for a minor child is engaged in child abuse. That's the parent that's committing child abuse. Because they won't just run the kid down to the doctor and say, you know, go operate on them and mutilate their body. By the way, take all these hormones and drugs, essentially chemical chemical castration. Oh, yeah, that parent's the good one. The one who opposes it is engaged in child abuse. And they're this far from passing that into law. I think it's already passed there legislature it's got to go to the governor's governor. desk for a signature i think you're right but this member of the california assembly stands up and says we as parents are obligated you're not obligated to do everything your dang kid tells you to do you got to be the adult in the room hadn't you heard that be- expression before you're supposed to let your kids my kid wants to be a chain smoker i'm obligated to get them cigarettes whenever they want them will you please when we come back Tell the audience about some of the satire you shared with me yesterday to that example you just gave. It is kind of perfect, honestly, uh, just just showing how insane this gender change stuff for minors is. We're stepping aside for a break. 
We're coming right back. Stay with us. Super Talk Mississippi. Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. I fell a ring of fire by the great Johnny Cash. I went down, down We're back. And the flames went On the ceasefire text line, uh, some law enforcement agencies were also issued injectable Narcan. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate that. So, I guess the main thing we know is that this is a... Uh, a drug. I mean, it's been around a while, is it not? And and the other thing we should point out that I I don't know that I understood fully until yesterday in the interview is temporary. You still got to get your butt to the ER. Really, is what she said. I believe yesterday. Yeah, it's very the, much like an EpiPen. An EpiPen will stop an allergic reaction, but you still need to get to the doctor so that they can try to counteract what is causing the allergic reaction. Further treatment. It's this is just sort of buys you time. Essentially, is what it does. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Robert Brandon says, what is wrong with people today? Why does anyone want to talk about sex, heterosexual, homosexual, any other version thereof with elementary children or think that it's okay to let them read that trash? I agree with you, Robert. I I, I don't get it. I, I feel like, am I out of touch because I don't get this? And then, you know, when I try to have a discussion about this, actually, I wasn't trying to have it. I, I was brought into it, but I'm happy to talk to anybody about it because I think it's important. And this individual right here in the state was just in the state of denial about it. Just refused to accept this even going on. You Republicans are too worried about that. I don't know. I don't think you're being too worried when you're trying to protect children from such. I don't. I don't. Is there anything you should be more worried about than children? I'd have a hard time thinking of anything, honestly. Our most precious asset, innocent children. You're robbing them of their innocence. That's what you're doing. All for personal gain. Think about it. They always talk about capitalist, corporate CEO, those of us who work diligently, tirelessly to pursue profit. You're selfish. You're greedy. No, you're selfish when you're using kids as pawns for your own personal political edification. That is the height of selfishness and greed. 
Nothing is more egregious than that. Children. Innocent people. Man. Unbelievable. Ray and Gluckstadt, you see that from the um, Babylon Bee, has a photo, split screen, a photo image on the left is uh, like a adult bookstore with a triple X logo on the awning above the door. And on the right is a youngster, looks like six, seven, eight years old, in a school library. And the title says, Shuttered Adult Bookstores Cite Fierce Competition from School Libraries. <laughs> That's about right. Sometimes what? the only way you, you can combat this is through satire. I agree. Malcolm from Tishomingo says, no, not even 16, 17-year-old in a library. No way. Well, I, I agree with you, Malcolm, from the perspective, as Rhino said, is erotica and porn and, and sexually explicit words, passages, excerpts, paragraphs. On the other hand, teaching, educating on the topic of sex, that's different. You can stay away from all of the erotica and the porn and all the all of this other sort of steamy explicit language that's not necessary so i went to catholic school we were required to take sex education i think it's juniors in high school seems like i was junior you know who taught it a nun but but keep in mind we never got into all this kind of junk it, it was more biological-related, which it should be, getting exposed this to This is that. how the plumbing works. Exactly. Things you need to be aware of and why you should be responsible and, you know, even going so far as, do you know how much it costs to have a kid, raise a kid, and how that can mess your life up? That sort of stuff. So be careful out there. Well, I think that's appropriate because we're putting our head in the sand to think that, kids at that age aren't engaged in sexual intercourse. Of course they are. I'm not saying all of them are, but it's not, it's not uncommon. KC says, uh, our Mississippi Senate killed a library bill in committee. I'm trying to recall that. We'll, we'll definitely, I know we got some legislators listening that could maybe help us out with that. But uh, we're going to look into that and keep pushing it. Hopefully, school districts in the state of Mississippi are adopting policies that address this issue. If they're adopting the policy that we just follow American Library Association guidelines, well, we now know that that's bad. You're going to end up with a bunch of inappropriate material in your library and in your curriculum. Everything that makes America great is rooted in the family and values that are only present in that. You remember when out-of-wedlock births were an anomaly, now they are the norm. That's Thomas and Greenwood. Totally agree with you on that, Thomas. Completely agree, and unfortunately, that's a big problem in our state, in the state of Mississippi. Out-of-wedlock births, teenage births as well. No doubt about it. It, uh, you know, in, in Vivek Ramaswamy, Republican presidential candidate, he uh, he actually has a, a list of what he calls 10 truths 
And one of those is that the nuclear family is uh, the greatest form of governance ever invented by man. He's absolutely right. And we have certainly strayed away from that to the point where we even glorify dysfunctional families. And that's certainly not to say that single parents, be uh, be they moms or dads, and yeah, I only recognize two, by the way, I hope that's okay, Uh, that they can't raise a productive child into, I should say, into a productive adult. Absolutely. But statistics and probabilities aren't in their favor in that situation. It's just that's just true. But I agree with you on that. My college roommate, this is on the ceasefire text line, is an eighth grade English teacher at Lake Comorots, the school we were talking about in DeSoto County that that um, where it was revealed, it was learned that an inappropriate book was assigned by a teacher and the teacher was was uh, terminated after the principal was notified. It it uh, essentially violated school policy. He was very upset about the book issue. He claims the teacher who passed out the inappropriate material was being lazy. Teachers have to read the material themselves before handing it out. Other teachers had edited their own material. This teacher had not. I'm at least hopeful, since we're in Mississippi, that it was an honest mistake, like the teacher says. Agree? Aaron in Meridian says, This clip says a lot about parenting, and I pulled it up. It's Andy Griffith. Talking to Buddy Epson, who was, of course, made famous from the role of Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies. He's a guest um, on Didn't the Andy Griffith. drifter on Andy Griffith? I think so. Passing through town. And Andy Griffith's talking to him about parody. I agree with you, Aaron. Man, we don't have programs like that anymore, do we? Tim from Tupelo says the Dems always want us to follow the science, but won't follow the science of being born a male or born a female. Yeah, that that the science to them is that's whatever you feel like. It's how you identify. Just crazy. In Mississippi, I believe the law states you cannot teach children about safe sex, which is probably why we have the highest rate of child STDs and teen pregnancy. Really? Is that true? You can't teach about safe sex? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm admitting I'm not familiar with that. Maybe that's something we got to take a look at. The nuclear family was not invented by man. It was invented by God. That's the reason it's so great on the ceasefire tax line. I, it just seems so natural to me, and I think it's natural because those of us who believe that uh, we are here because of a, a higher being, that being God in heaven, those of us who have that faith. But I, I agree. The nuclear family is sorely missing in our country, and statistically compared to other nations, we're falling way behind much of the of the West in particular, but certainly the East in, uh, in that category where we just have more single parent homes. The last time I looked at the statistic, and I'd have to look at it again, it's been a couple of years, I want to say 45% of the homes with children present in Mississippi only have one parent, fatherless. 
for the most part. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Patrick Sullivan, president of Mississippi Energy Institute at 1205. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. My daddy spent his life looking up at the sky. He cussed, kicked the dust, saying the sun is way too dry. He clouds up in the city, the weatherman complains. But where I come from, rain is a good thing. Rain makes corn, corn makes whiskey, whiskey makes my baby feel a little frisky. We are back in the Element Well studio. Jason in Starkville says, sex ed was a fun class in high school. Sam from Mount Hermon. Gerard, I think one of the greatest examples of not having an abortion is that lady governor from one of the states, either Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Her mother had her when she was 12. Now look at her great contribution. What more could you ask for? Uh, governor? Don't, don't think it would be those states. I have to think about who exactly Sam's talking about. I have seen... Uh, interviews with with folks who were spared and they talk about it who obviously turned out to be extremely successful people let's see here on uh ceasefire tech slide uh what are you saying here thomas hell i've learned a lot from reading burroughs but it isn't appropriate for kids but burroughs is tame compared to what the kids are being taught this is likely a lost cause morality stands in the way of the socialist agenda I think it's immoral to ask you to pay for my health care, yet we are considering Medicaid expansion. Remember the old adage, you can't legislate morality. I'll add that you also can't legislate due to morality, so you have to eliminate morality to legislate socialism in America. Well, I think the problem there with your example, Thomas, is that you pay. when you say I'm paying for somebody else's health care, you're talking about in the form of taxes, of course, right, because that program is a government program that's funded by taxes. Okay, so you could apply that across everything. I mean, you pay for roads that you don't ever use. You pay for airports you don't ever use. You pay for a military that you could argue and a lot of, of money spent there you don't use. So, um, you know, the state of Mississippi receives lots of, uh, of money and benefit from the federal government, but yet we don't send that much to the federal government. I mean, you could you could make that argument. You you pay for retirement benefits that you don't use. You pay for Medicare health care you don't use. It's, it's not really a strong argument in that respect. Now, you could, um, I guess, launch the the debate about, of course, and you should, and we all always should be mindful of this the role of government so should we just eliminate government not have anything that is i guess collective in nature because it is too closely aligned with so-called socialism which is not what medicaid is by the way neither is social security or medicare now what you'll get out of the Left is they'll tell you, well, yeah, you don't like law enforcement? That's socialism. Therefore, you should support socialism. I see that argument all the time. 
You don't like roads and bridges? That's socialism. Not really. That's not really, doesn't really fall under the classic, widely accepted definition of central planning socialism. I do believe socialism is when, let's take the state of California, which maybe is the most progressive from a socialism perspective of any in the country, when they dictate to a private company what your board composition is going to look like. Yeah, I call that socialism. When you, when you start exceeding reasonable, rational, valuable regulations just for the purpose of some crazy political agenda, and you implement policies like that, yeah, I, I would consider that socialism. When you tell me how much I'm going to make, what I'm going to sell it for, who I'm going to buy it from, yeah, all that's socialism. I, I totally agree. In that respect. By the way, the household median household income statistics just released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Census Bureau shows that median household income actually declined, probably not a surprise, from 21 to 22. The data not out, of course, for 23 yet. Declined by almost $3,000. Median income of a household. Wait, I thought this Bidenomic stuff was really supposed to be working. It's fallen by nearly $3,000 since Trump left office from $78,250 uh, down to actually $76,660 down to $74,580. Almost $3,000. So I thought we were being told and we we're to accept that so called Bidenomics is working. The other thing is that. The left says poverty's going up because we're not spending enough on welfare. They literally are saying that the poverty rate, which jumped in 2022 after the enhanced child tax credit, something we talked about a million times on this program, they're saying that because that expired and Republicans didn't sign on to renewing it, that, that poverty increased. Basically because the government didn't send you enough money, you got poorer. Not because you didn't produce enough and earn enough. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. Patrick Sullivan's next. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is the afternoon portion of Middays. We're live from the Element Well studio on this hump day. Joining us now, Patrick Sullivan, president of the Mississippi Energy Institute. Patrick, good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. So, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when we, we, we discuss the subject of energy, and I know you guys got some uh, some projects going on and some, and some, uh, some initiatives, but we got the CPI report today. And um, headline inflation was up and core inflation was up. 
We've watched the price of oil just steadily increase now over the last couple of months. Uh, we saw a, a significant decline, say, in the June time period from the prior June when I think we hit a peak. But since then, we've steadily going up. But I haven't seen the gas prices quite fall in line with the price of oil yet. We, I think we've seen a, a, a higher increase on a percentage basis of the price of, of crude oil. Uh, per barrel, but we haven't seen that reflected yet at the pump. But we did get an inflation report that's got the market all nervous, and a lot of folks think that, hey, energy's going up, and and because energy is embedded in the cost of virtually everything that we make and consume, that we're looking at inflation rearing its head again. Well, I think that's what people should expect. Um, in parts of the country, in the Midwest, gas prices have started to rise. Uh, here in the last few days, there's usually a lag between a few days, a week or so, between oil prices spiking and gasoline prices. But, you know, what I would expect is, you know, people's, our next visits to the pump are going to be a little more painful hmm. uh, than the last. And, and what happened last week, Saudi Arabia and Russia announced that they were going to continue the sustained production cuts that they started back in the summer. Because that, that's the issue that caused the... And the primary issue that caused the market, the oil market, to spike last week. And so I think, you know, the fair question to ask is, you know, in the United States, must we be at the mercy of the whims of Saudi Arabia, Arabia yeah. and, and Russia? And the answer is no. Uh, but there's no overnight fix to that. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, as we usually talk about when we when I'm on the show, uh, is pretty simple. Uh, if you want to get the price of something to go down, you get the supply, supply sure. to go up. And we do have the ability to control our own supply here in the U.S. Well, we had the president in Alaska uh, over the weekend and, and recently signing off on really the prohibition of drilling in a lot of the areas of Alaska where we have extremely rich oil deposits. Yeah, things are really messed up right now. Uh, <laughs> That's one way to put it. In, in, in politics. And, you know, to your point, what happened last week is oil prices spiked. You know, then you had the the president's spokesperson sitting in front of the media saying, "Hey, we're doing everything we can to get to make sure gasoline prices don't go up." And in the same day, <laughs> they say we're going to take you know 13 million acres uh, off of the table in Alaska, and we're going to cancel all the permits that were issued in the, during the Trump administration. Unbelievable. Yeah. So you know, there I think their argument, you know, what they would point to is, well, oil prices. I mean, oil oil, oil production in the U.S. is is near the highest level it's ever been. I think it just crossed it. It's the highest it's ever been. Yeah, It's so, almost uh, 2 million barrels more a day than it was under Trump. But it could be probably 3 million more than that, is what I've read for some well, experts. It, it's just now gotten back to what it was pre-COVID. Uh, and so the result of all that are, are, are permits that were issued during the Trump administration. Okay. But the issue is Coming you online. Know, the, the world consumes 100 million barrels a day. U.S. is about 20 million barrels of right. that, and we produce 13. Right. But we have all these areas offshore. The, the reason we've we've gone up, you know, for in about the last 15 years is all on private land production. Federal okay. lands production has stayed stagnant, and now it's in decline because mm. of, of what's happening. Mm. And so, you know, if if we set, you know, just adopted a simple policy, we're going to open up federal lands production. That's the <laughs> Gulf of Mexico. That's right. Alaska. Uh, heaven forbid, you know, Atlantic or Pacific Ocean, uh, but uh, that would that would re- put us in a con- in, in a position of being in control of our of our own supply. We're just not doing it, yeah, as a country. Yeah, 
Um, and it seems like that that's intentional. You know, we have an administration that intentionally, uh, well, of course, wants to totally wean us off of uh, fossil fuels energy, but that's just really not it's not tenable at this point. We rely on it too much. We can't just stop. Well, it's insane to even <laughs> think that. You know, and so it, I'd say it, it's intentionally political. Is, yeah, is, that's is, a good is point. what it is, and yeah. so you know that that's one of the unfortunate things of what's happening in Washington. Yeah, you got. The Democrats taking these insane positions of, well, we don't want to get energy from natural gas or oil or nuclear. And so and the Republicans are taking a more reasonable position of, you know, kind of, hey, let's get it from everywhere we can so the price stays reasonable. Right. It's a global commodity. Right. And so, you know, you kind of get to you, – you look at their position and – you know, any you know fifth grade student can analyze it and say, "Well, where in the world are we going to get all our, <laughs> our, all our energy from?" Do you know? I've I've seen oil executives, uh, Patrick, of these big oil uh, companies uh, that have said, "We'll never build another refinery on U.S. soil." I mean, is that is that the case? You think? We certainly don't have a policy to support the right. build out. Well, that's why I've said that before. The president says, we want to put you out of business. Who the heck's going to go build a refinery that's got about a 10 year ROI on it when you've got a government that says, we don't even want you to exist? Well, it's not, and that's not just refineries. I mean, we've got an aging nuclear power fleet. You know, a few years ago, we had 104 reactors in the U.S. Now we're down to 93. Hmm. You know, our, own, our biggest, by far, emissions free source of power, you know, you don't hear any of the any of the, the geniuses in Washington talking about we're losing our, our reactor food, but it's the same issue. We need to build more refineries. I mean, we need to we need to build more reactors. Sure. We need to build more pipelines and parts to make connections. We need to build more electric transmission infrastructure. You know, one of the things that that we covered recently uh, was the issue of of NEPA. Most people don't know what NEPA is, a National Environmental Policy Act. You know, for years. It, it applies to any highway, you know, federally funded or federally re- regulated project. And mm-hmm. it requires, in simple terms, it requires uh, by law for those projects to choose the least environmentally impactful route. Okay. And so uh, for years, you know, highway departments and ports and pipeline companies have been saying this is really an unreasonable process. It adds years and years of unnecessary bureaucracy to a process because it's not – it's in addition to the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, all the like real environmental regulations. It's just process. And now that the the uh, some of the Democrats in Washington are, are aggressively pushing the construction of wind and solar, there's a lot of transmission. Uh, I mean, it, it, an inordinate amount of transmission hmm. like that's required with that. But they can't build it because of NEPA. And so hmm. the irony is is. Uh, on the one hand, it's it's a good spectacle, you know, entertaining spectacle spectacle to watch. But on the other hand, it's it's unfortunate, and, and they're getting a taste of their own mess, medicine for years. Yeah, you know, they've been told this is an unreasonable process, and now they're living it. Uh, so mm. you were kind of sitting, yeah, you know, whether you're talking about refineries or all these other things, we're sitting in this place where it's just we're we're, we're paralyzed by all of our our own policies at federal. Because that puts Mississippi in the position with other states. Okay, how can we? What are things that we can do to make sure that the the, the mess in Washington does not you know, negatively impact us so to the greatest extent well, possible? Talk about that. What are we doing now? Well, I think, you know, some of the actions we've taken here in Mississippi the last few years and other states have done the same thing. Uh, you know, simple things like uh, preempting uh, 
you know, fuel bans you've seen it in certain parts of the country. You've seen, I've heard you guys talk about the the, the, the gas stove yeah. ban. Yeah, preempting actions yeah. like that, anticipating that those are the things that could, you know, be considered here at some point. So let's go ahead and just say, hey, this is this okay. is unlawful. Uh, but, you know, um, you know, in my, in my view, we're never going to change the, or not in the near term, we're going to change the, the, the opinions of California and Washington and Oregon and Vermont yeah, yeah. and how they view energy, you know. And so I think we've got to figure out how to ban with with like-minded states and who who believe that the most important part of energy policy for our citizens is that we have access to it when we want it and the amount that we want it at an affordable cost. That's the way it's always been sure. in America. And, and so that's kind of where we are at this crossroads. Some people want to start to go down the road of of Germany or you know, some of the other country, countries in Europe. And I think what we're saying is the American way has always been the best way uh, on energy. And so let's let's stay on that path. But we've got to build stuff, to your point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And aren't you seeing Germany, parts of Europe, um, kind of having a little buyer's remorse at this point as well? They're, they're, I mean, it's causing them problems. Well, there's a story in Germany this week where they were taking down a wind farm uh, so they could have access to, really? to uh, coal resources. Oh my gosh! Because what an they abrupt they turnaround. just want power. That's yeah. They need the energy. You can't, you can't survive without it, and it's not not adequate supply of it from those sources. Uh, before you go, I, I supported all the above energy policy. Is is the institute on the same page? Yeah, we there? need we need it all. There's a place for all of it, and it all works together as a system. Okay, well that's good to know. And appreciate you guys' efforts. Thanks for coming on, Patrick. Sure, Enjoy talking to you. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. When Eric Clapton was with Green. We are back in the Element Well studio. Yes, we're actually producing uh, a little bit more now. I saw the latest numbers on that than we were during the Trump administration. But the global supply is down. Demand is actually up a bit. Thus, the price is, uh, is up. And it's just because... The Saudis and the Russians can just kind of manipulate the market, and they're doing that. We should know that. We could counter that by producing more here to increase the global supply of crude oil. But that ain't happening when you're shutting leases and permits down all over the place. There's just 
beholden to the radical climate cult is Joe Biden in our government. I guess that's another one of those areas where my Democrat friends would say, no, that's really not happening. <laughs> it's just just constant re- rebuttal and uh, to some extent even repudiating you for thinking it's happened, which is just wrong. I don't know how to get their attention. I don't I don't it's like you could provide empirical um, evidence that the senses consume. You know, like your eyes and your ears, and that signals to your brain. They just deny it. I mean, it really does feel like that. It's Look no further than the crazy BLM protest of the 2020 summer and the CNN reporter. Yeah, it's mostly peaceful and the buildings are on fire in the background. Like, you got problems with your eyes and your ears there? You do wonder. And, and Biden running around telling us how great Bidenomics is. Just constant. I mean, as recent as yesterday, we heard it again. And then the left saying, well, the poverty rate's up because we just didn't send enough checks out. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like I said, their, their approach to, to um, economic matters and, and, and just economic policy is never about growing the size of the pie. It's always about recutting it. We just got to... We just got to take more from this group, give it to that group. That makes everything better. So now we got inflation ticking up again. And we've got uh, not only that, but we've got oil, of course, rising, as we were just discussing with Patrick. And you're about to see that at the pump again. Uh the rise in the retail price of gasoline. And surely that's going to drive inflation and so much uh, else that we consume. It's got to. It's embedded in it. In 2022, the federal government spent $1.19 trillion on 80 different welfare programs, just so you know. That's 20% of federal spending, $9,000 per American household. Did the math on that. Now, these are considered anti-poverty programs. So think about that for a second, what the left's contending here. We spent $1.2 trillion on anti-poverty programs. And we still have 40 million people in poverty. I'm saying that ain't working. And so their solution, we got to expand the child credit, which is just a cash payment. That's all it is. Here's money for having a child. By the way, if we implemented that policy, that would come at an annual cost of $430 billion dollars. Billion. How about fraudulent unemployment? Something we've talked about before. There's 
updated figures on that. Now it is calculated to be $135 billion of fraudulent unemployment claims during the COVID era. $135 billion. I guess if you looked up the word incompetent in the dictionary, you'd see the U.S. federal government there. That's sad. It really is. It's inexcusable. This is operational incompetence. That's the point here. This is a giant administrative program is what it is. And when you're doling out payments being defrauded to the tune of $135 billion? You're incompetent. And what's their solution? We've got to have more. That's what's crazy. we got to have more. I just don't get it. Totally don't. Have you seen this story about this Democrat candidate in uh, Virginia running for state house? Performing sex acts with her husband on webcam sites. Oh yeah, for tips. <laughs> yeah, it's just another example of how the media loves to cheerlead and defend the left in any way they can, because the initial reporting on this is that they were leaked. Sex tapes were leaked. I- I'm sorry, it's not a leak if you purposefully put it online for money. Right. It's not a leak. Uh, The site, Chatterbait, you ever heard of that before? It is um, a streaming website. And there's, there, yeah, I mean, it's, you put it on the internet. My gosh, that's not a leak. You expect that to be private? I mean, it's one thing to conceal... The Pamela Anderson-Tommy Lee video was a leak because it was a video stolen from a personal safe. That's true. This is someone who put all their business on the Internet and asked for tips and then got upset when people saw it. That's right. She's running for Virginia State House, House District 57, Susanna Gibson running for delegate for Virginia's 57th district. (laughs) She's a nurse practitioner. And uh, she called the publicly posted videos, quote, an illegal invasion of my privacy designed to humiliate me and my family. Huh? You're performing sex acts online for money. That's how it works. You get electronic tips. They... The, uh, the viewers, the voyeurs, request the performers to engage in certain acts, and they tease them with money, literally. That's how it works. And she's doing this, and now she's saying, it won't intimidate me and it won't silence me. My political opponents and their Republican allies have proven they're willing to commit a sex crime to attack me and my family because there's no line they won't cross to silence women when they speak up. You knew they were going to inject that into it. They're silencing women. Can she point to which sex crime was committed? (laughs) That's so crazy. That's so bogus. There's no 
<laughs> Johnny in West Point, she's a hooker. Well, I guess it depends on how you define hooker there, Johnny. <laughs> I would say more of an exhibitionist. A hooker would be sleeping with multiple people for money, whereas she was just sleeping with her husband for money. That's true. And, by the way, a nurse practitioner and uh, two children. I'm looking at a photo of her, her husband, very attractive uh, family, by the way. Her, her husband, and her two children. How do you talk to your children about that one? That's unbelievable. She launched her campaign in July 22. She's raised three for running for house, 376000 Just for, for comparative purposes, in Mississippi... Somebody who had a hundred grand to run for a house seat would have a bunch of money, honestly. Many of them, it's ten, fifteen. She's got three seventy-six, and uh, she's got seventy-seven thousand on hand because she's been. Uh, she went head to head in the June Democratic primary with an opponent. Uh, <laughs> she spent a bunch of money at that point. It's just bizarre. We are coming right back with half an hour in the Element Well studio on middays. Please stay with us. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbett on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio. Ah, Don't forget, tomorrow we're down at two museums. That's for Empower Mississippi's third annual policy summit, Unleash Mississippi. Looking forward to that. Saw on the ceasefire text line, Socialism is the redistribution of wealth for society's benefit. Nothing exists in its idealistic manner. Our system has aspects of socialism, capitalism, communism, and fascism. Well, I um, I agree. I mean, I agree to some extent. Certainly, socialism and communism both reject capitalism, economic power is not maintained uh, by people. Rather, it is under the control of central authorities. Um, communism generally differs from socialism, is certainly from a, an historical context, in that socialism typically transfers power to the working class usually through some sort of revolutionary means rather than kind of a 
pernicious, gradual process. And that's that's sort of what we're looking at in this country. But both of those systems do advocate for, again, central public control, if you could call it that, of the means of production. In some situations, socialism will allow capitalism to uh, also exist. Communism is really more about equitable distribution, and typically in communism there is no private property rights. Although even in communist China, you kind of see a, a, a mixture, a blend of socialism and communism and capitalism, way more so than you do here. This, Our system is still way more capitalistic than it is uh, one of socialism or communism. But uh, certainly we see it creeping, and there's no doubt that Democrats in this country lean strongly towards the ideals of socialism. Some are more radical and support communism in, in that they would just not just dictate but seize assets and private property and control it for themselves and really divide the haves and the have-nots, if you will, <laughs> the proletariat and the Politburo. Um, sometimes, again, they can coexist. And, and a lot of socialists don't see may not see communism as their end goal. It's just um, two, two different philosophies. Now, the philosophy laid out in communism in the Communist Manifesto, of course, that's Karl Marx, that was in the 1800s, and that's often referred to as Marxism. And it's a, it's a little more about Marxism is a little bit more about how to achieve communism. Communism is a little bit more about economic policy and economic operating models, whereas Marxism is more about social control to achieve and um, accomplish (laughs) introduction of widespread communism. Nonetheless, good discussion, though, and it's something we ought to always be aware of and concerned about, and I know I've played here on the program before a, a video from the 2012, 2012 Democratic National Convention, and reporter and, and economist Peter Schiff was roving the, uh, the event before the formalities began, just talking to people. They didn't know who he was. I mean, he had a mic, you could tell that he was um, some sort of journalist, but I don't think they knew specifically. And he was kind of kind of pretending to support the ideal of banning profits. And he just asked random people there at the Democratic National Convention. Now, remember, though, Rhino, this really isn't happening. That's not what they believe. This was 2012, Obama seeking his second term. And he just says, hey, what do you think about banning profits? And these are just average-looking American people with their their lanyard on and their badge, you know, their attendees at the Democrat National Convention. Heck yeah, I'm all for that. Banning profits. Let's do it today. 
They're just idiots. I don't know what else to say about them. Like, you only exist in this building, at this event, in this venue, with those clothes on your body because of profit. Just just cannot seem to connect those dots. But it was it was eye-opening. And anytime I've presented that or shared that with Democrats, oh, there's just a few people that believe that. No, I don't think it is. I think it's more widespread. And every day your leader comes out and denounces, excoriates, repudiates companies, private entities for producing a profit. Every day, Liz Warren, Bernie Sanders, two powerful members of the U.S. Senate. Well, the inflation is being driven because of greedy corporations. They just want to make too much money. That's a problem. And they don't, they can't connect the dots. Well, if I, as a corporation, announce to the world, hey, look, we're, we're not really about making profit here, but please invest your money. I need your money to operate, to pay people, to expand, to produce, but you're not getting anything in return because we don't believe in making a profit. They don't seem to understand that concept, and it's bothersome. little breaking news out of the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Mitt Romney will not seek re-election. How about that? He's been deliberating it, and uh looks like he's stepping down then in the state of Utah. So that's an open seat. I suspect we'll see a large field jump into that one. That's interesting. That's incredible. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. The most brutal genocidal regimes in modern history were socialist, communist, Marxist. Not all, but most. On the ceasefire text line, that's Rob from Pontotoc. I, I totally agree. More people have been killed at the hands of uh, communist dictators, no doubt. More people have been lifted out of poverty under capitalism than any other system. There's no doubt about it. And I know a lot of people in this country get get frustrated. I do as well at the at the socialist leanings of the Democrat Party and the policies that that are to some degree rooted in the concept of central planning, control the means of production, socialism, but still have it better than anywhere else in my view. More opportunity than in any other country. And really little holding anybody back. That's why I get mad about the the Democrats who are always promoting this idea of of uh, the deck is stacked and systemic racism and marginalized people and all that stuff. The truth is, this society, this country, in the public and the private sector, absolutely go out of their way to accommodate the very people whom they say are being left behind because they're being oppressed. It's quite the opposite. There's no excuse. You just can't accept any excuse. Uh, I mean, how do we end up with a black president for two terms, if that's the case? Heck, if you look at the cities where crime is the worst, almost all of them have complete black government. 
minority-based government. By the way, speaking of this, some of this crazy gender and sex stuff, <laughs> the mayor of uh, Berkeley, just as you think you hadn't seen it all, uh, well, the mayor of Ber- Berkeley says, hold, hold my beer. Constantine Anthony, the Democratic mayor of Burbank, California, well, he pulled a little ploy that was captured on video at a, I believe it was a council meeting of the city council of uh, Berkeley, and the video has gone viral. I shall describe it on the other side of the break. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Boys, I believe. Well, so Rhino just informed us that Mitt Romney shall not seek the uh, re-election for his Senate seat in the great state of Utah. I'm watching it on the television here. Speaking of which, uh, seeking election, the Washington Post opinion writer for the Post wrote a piece that uh, I I read yesterday. The title, President Biden should not run again in 2024. Wow. David Ignatius, who's no no conservative for sure. Of course, he spends most of the article, though, I read it, talking about how great Joe Biden's been and how great his policies have been and how fantastic all his accomplishments are. Don't you people get it? You're just better off with Joe. You've got to acknowledge that. And if you don't, well, it's just your problem. All right, so I told you about the Burbank mayor, Constantine Anthony. It was at a Democratic fundraiser. And... Of course, keep in mind again now, this really isn't happening, this sort of stuff. They invite a drag queen to the fundraiser. Drag queen bingo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the dra- and I'm looking, you can see in the background, you see the pride tablecloths on the tables and stuff. And so this um, this drag queen spanked the mayor. He was filmed bending over a table and laughing while drag performer Foxy Roxy Wood (laughs) at the Santa Clarita Valley Democrats drag queen bingo event. (laughs) 
was um, sort of lightly spanking the mayor bending over, who was just laughing about the entire ordeal. And that was captured on video. It's now been viewed 7.6 million times since Sunday. He's a newlywed dad. His online bio, you should not be surprised at this, starts with his pronouns. <laughs> Gosh, dog. Unbelievable. Drag queens at the old fundraiser. <laughs> Just can't make it up. Regardless of advertising, there were no children at the event. <laughs> okay, but schools across this country are willingly inviting drag queens to read stories, right? Well, that was his response after it was found out that the drag queen put on their social media that a poster for the event saying the event was 15-plus. Okay. I'm looking at the libs of TikTok tweet. It was in front of children, and he, he wanted to clarify that for the record said the youngster in question was a completely different event 11 hours earlier. But let's be honest. You do it, though, Mayor. You don't have a problem with it. If Foxy Roxy Wood showed up at the local elementary school there in Burbank to engage in this sort of activity with six-year-olds, you'd be all for it. Let's just be honest. Don't hand me this crap. Oh, no, this doesn't really happen. There's more important things to worry about. Nothing more important than kids. Nothing. This opinion writer is just laying the praise on the president. But says he shouldn't run, and mainly because his fear is that he won't make it, and Kamala Harris, who he's not a fan of, wants Karen Bass, the mayor of Los Angeles, to replace Kamala on the ticket. Does this Washington Post opinion writer, Ignatius, Mr. Ignatius, also said Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo would be an effective and a a good pick for vice president. But he's basically saying he shouldn't run. He has another chance to say no, the author says, to himself this time by withdrawing from the 2024 race. It might not be in character for Biden, but it would be a wise choice for the country. On that, Mr. Ignatius, you and I agree it would be a wise choice. Time is running out. He's got to make a decision. I hope Biden has this conversation with himself about whether to run and that he levels with the country about it. It would focus the 24 campaign. Who is the best person to stop Trump? That's what Biden's got to think about. Wow, that worm's turned a little bit. Well, we are out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, we're down at two museums tomorrow for Empower Mississippi's third annual policy summit known as Unleash Mississippi. Come on down and see us if you want to. You can get your tickets at empowerms.org. We would love to have you. But until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.